we are called strangers and exiles. This world is not our home. We are now priests in God's kingdom, and we are to point others to Jesus in the way we live our lives, especially in suffering. When we anchor our hope in Jesus, we can show people how to live better, not bitter. As I was kind of preparing for today, I was, uh, I was astonished by something that kind of hit me. I thought this was really good to talk about when we start. I was, I'm amazed at how words change over time. Not the word itself, but its meaning. And, I, and I'm, I'm surprised and amazed. It's like sometimes words can change meaning completely in about 10 years. Sometimes it takes 100 years, sometimes 1,000. But it's just interesting how words can change. You would think they never change, but they do change. And in our digital world now, with information just flooding around us, words can change much more rapidly than ever before. But what's interesting is when you watch a word that used to mean something good, now not mean something good. A word that was maybe positive at one time, now, no, 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 we don't see that word as positive at all. Somebody shared a phrase with me called um, linguistic theft. Linguistic theft, where we take a word and then we have an agenda and we kind of move the meaning of that word over time. And so I thought that was kind of an interesting phrase. I want you to think of a word. I think of a word, I, you're, you're, I'm sure this is popping in your mind now, words that maybe have changed over time in their meaning or negative positive connotation in them. Here's an example one. The word religion. I remember, I know I've been around a little while now, I just keep getting older, right? But it's like maybe 30, 40 years ago, the word religion really wasn't a bad word. The word religion, you could talk about, hey, what's your religion, things like that. It really was kind of a word that would flow in a conversation. Today, the word religion is very negative. The word religion mostly means kind of this cold institutional church is a lot of way a lot of people think religion is. As a matter of fact, I've heard pastors say, we, we aren't about religion. We're about other words like faith or things like that. So it's just amazing how that word changes. So I'd ask, I love participation. It was fun first service. What words have you seen change? Bad. bad. That was one first service. It's like, why? Oh, yeah. Man, we're bad, which is good, right? Bad, good. But it's like, bad used to be bad. Now bad's good, right? Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Another one. Sick. That one came up, those two came up in the first service too. It was like, that's sick. You know, it's like, that's amazing. Where it used to be, no, that's not good. You're, I'm sick. <laughs> Another one. This is great. And those online, I love, let's on Facebook Live, just start throwing words out there. Other one. Fire. All right, you're going to have to tell me that one, Jack. What's fire? What? Fire. Oh, yeah. Yeah, see? Somebody brought up in first service, if you didn't hear, they brought up the difference between pound sign and hashtag. And I think they were digging on me because maybe just a few years ago I said, hey, yeah, pound sign something. They're like, idiot, it's hashtag. And it's like, okay, I was trying to be cool and I didn't go over too well. So yeah, fire. Thanks. Thanks for making us, yeah. And yeah one more, one more, one more word. Lit. lit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, lit can have some really interesting meaning today, right? Um, 
All right, before this degrades any further, we will move on. So there's a word that I, I don't know if it's changed a whole lot, but man, the meaning definitely is a word we want to tackle today, and that word is submission. And when you bring up the word submission, it is normally not a positive response. And so today we're going to go after submission, and this is going to be fun because if you think it's hot outside, wait about 20 minutes because it's going to get hot in here. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I think... One of the challenges I'm going to throw at us is that submission, even in the Christian, amongst the Christians in the church, submission tends to have a worldly definition to it. And we don't, when you look at submission in the Bible, it is a beautiful thing. And so we're going to take on the challenge because most of us do not see the word beautifully at all. So let's, let's do that. So I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2 and 3. 1 Peter, if you're new to the Bible, it's way towards the back. There's only right before, just shortly before the book of Revelation, the last one in there. It's a small little guy, about five chapters long. It's easy to miss. But turn there. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. We're going to have that up ahead. Uh, and while we do that, I just want to take a moment and welcome everybody. This is the type of year we've seen a lot of new faces. So welcome to Westview Community Church. My name is Brian. I'm our lead pastor. And on the back, there, like Jack talked about, there's these notes. We're going to go into the topic of submission, the word submission back here, and you can use this outline a little bit to help you uh, along the way, and just grab those notes there. Um, and this connect card, obviously, Jack talked about that. It's really important to us for our guests, too, that we can connect with you. But I love your prayer requests. We love your prayer requests. We hold them up all week long. We pay attention to them. Send us your praises. Let us know what you're celebrating in your family, and you can drop these off in the boxes when you leave um, out on the way out the door. But please, uh, uh, sorry, an announcement. This one's kind of fun. Before we jump into this, because we're going to go deep today, so, but announcement. Helping International Students Ministry, we've been talking about that. That's here on the front. Um, it, is a, it is a way that we engage all the international students. Uh, if you come to early service, you're going to see probably about 15 Nigerian students here. Uh, just there, it's, it's always been a big part of our family, and, and we love having international students with us and part of worshiping with us. But last week, we had the welcome dinner, and there were several people here that, that went from our church to help. That, that was a dinner like, hey, welcome to Kansas State. But what was really cool was yesterday was the furniture giveaway. We've been talking about this. The big, like when they arrive, they, the international students don't have anything and they'll have an apartment and they'll like have no bed, no nothing. And, they, and on the giving giveaway day, they have a parking lot full of, of furniture and stuff. And, they, and, then, and so yesterday, if you were not paying attention, was according to the National Weather Service, Manhattan was the hottest place in all continental U.S. at 115 degrees. And we had 26 people from our church in a parking lot, helping international students load furniture and take it to their home. And that was just really cool. And, and I just, I really appreciate everybody doing that. And, but you can also still, there's going to be many international students that are looking for a friend, somebody to help them acclimate. You can invite them here. They go through all that. You can scan that QR code and be part of that. It's just an amazing uh, ministry. But we don't make them feel welcome here. Amen. We make them feel needed because they are a part of our body of Christ. And so we would love you to engage that. Um, a little short note there. I know that, that four people left that furniture giveaway and went and helped a lady in Junction City move her and her kids to Manhattan in the afternoon. They were moving stuff all day. And that's the type of church we love to be. That's the type of church we love to be. All right, I get a... I'm good. Okay, let's move on. So let's, let's, yeah, we're going into a hot topic today. So let's, let's start in prayer and let's ask the Holy Spirit to do a work on us. Holy Spirit, as we go into the Word 
you are the one that guides us. You are the one that illuminates here. And, and submission is a word. Let's just be real. It's a, it's a word that we just all have different spaces and beliefs and things. And that's why we so want to see it, not just from a couple clobber verses or whatever in the Bible, but we want to see it through the whole context of the word and who God is and what his creation is and relationships there and how submission works because it is beautiful. It's amazing. So Holy Spirit, let us see your word. Attack our hearts. I'm going to say that. Attack our hearts in places where we got a worldly definition and open our hearts up to the beauty of how grace moves in submission. And so, Holy Spirit, we offer our hearts to you as we go through the word together. And we pray this in the power and authority of Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are in the third week as we go through 1 Peter, the five chapters together. The series is called Better, Not Bitter. And so I'm painting a picture here. Peter is writing to the churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, a Roman province. So he's, not, he's writing to people of a different context. Uh, he's part of the movement of the church in that area. And what we know is during this period is persecution uh, is now becoming widespread against the Christian church. So it's really getting pushed to the margins of life. And, and Peter writes this letter, and he tells them how to live better or not bitter when we're pushed into that margin. And we're correlating it today to where faith in America has largely been privatized and largely you're seeing a church's faith kind of be pushed. This isn't really persecution, but you're seeing a church kind of getting pushed to the margins of life and not at the center. And so we're using this also to say the same things because we're seeing a lot of bitterness in the Christian church. And we're showing why Peter writes this as a much more intense time than what we're going through. But it's really important to us to that. So, so what is interesting is in this letter, there is three ways that he tells the church to be better. First is, it's all about grace. Remember, grace is God's love coming at us, whether we deserve it or not. And that grace actually flows through us and the church to others. So grace is a movement of love that comes in the church and moves outward. And so it starts with, in the first two chapters, he's talking about grace and salvation. We are a better church. Even when we're getting pushed, we're better because we know whose we are, we know where we're going, we know the power of salvation in our lives and we want everybody else to hear this and so that was the first two chapters now we're moving into grace and submission so God's love flows in this so I think that's important to paint that picture for you and then we're going to finish up he paints one more picture just so you know where we're going as you read ahead to chapters three and four next week he's going to talk about grace and suffering so grace and salvation grace in submission in grace and suffering. Church, you do this right. God's love will flow. Watch us go, all right? So as we jump into this, I'm gonna throw our first sermon out here. For our guests here, it's on the back. First sermon note up ahead. Our culture distorts submission. Our culture really distorts it. We are, so if we think of American culture and we think of our, our, our type of culture, we're a strongly individualistic culture. We love freedom and we don't trust. Those are three big characters is we love freedom, we're very individualized and we don't trust much anymore. And so in that culture, we tend to see submission as not a good word. Now, I always go to the highest resources to look at what the world thinks, so I go to Google just like you do. And I Googled submission, and here's the definition from Google, because a lot of people go here. It says submission is the act, I'm sorry, the action or fact of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. And it gives us an example. It says they were forced into submission. The definition is negative. They were forced into submission, is the example that we get. 
And so what's interesting is that I think our culture takes the word submission, our culture does, and it really makes it sound like the word subjugation. Subjugation is where you make a person a thing, you destroy their individuality, and you remove their liberty. And a lot of people feel that's what submission is. It destroys who I am. It, t it makes me a thing. It destroys my individuality and goes after my freedom. And of course, in our culture, that doesn't go well, so submission is a negative word. So I, I, I thought, before we get to scripture, I just want to paint this picture of world versus Bible. And so I'm going to give you this chart. If you want to try, jot them down, or we can submit them later, maybe on Facebook or something, or take a picture of this. But this is how the world defines submission. I'll give you some values that are pretty common to what submission is. First, the world would say submission is imposed, it's compulsory, and it's forced. They normally say that's where the direction of submission comes from. The second is that normally submission is motivated by self-interest. So submission is normally going to come motivated by my self-interest. The third thing the world's going to tell you about submission is the goal is independence by climbing. So what that means is, is in submission, what that means is if I climb the ladder, I have less people over me and more people under me. Does that make sense? And so independence is achieved because it's such a good value. I'm going to grow, I'm going to move up, and I'm going to actually have less people above me and more people below me. That's where I feel more comfortable when it comes to submission. Fourth, worldly submission is legalistic obedience, largely saying, this is what it is, listen. This is what it is, follow. This is what it is, submit. Legalistic obedience. It's written, do it. The last thing I would say about worldly submission is it's loud and demanding. It's very loud. When you look at our three, core, or our three vision statements, be bold, love loud, engage deeply, Love loud is one of our, our values here, one of our vision statements. What we're trying to do is love louder than the noise of the world, and this is one area where it's loud. Submission's negative, and it's loud. Now, I'm going to give you a biblical definition. Now, I'm not giving you scripture verses because I think you're going to see these as we go, and I think you're really going to see it at the end. But let me just frame this out to show you why I think this word's so beautiful, but it's so different. So the first thing is biblical submission is voluntary. In the Bible, to submit to somebody is voluntary and it's a matter of the heart. It's never compulsory or forced. Okay? Biblical submission is also motivated by faith, hope, and love. It's not motivated by self-interest. It's motivated in humility. And it's motivated with the three important things that show the Holy Spirit's in you. Faith, hope, and love. Fourth thing that biblical submission shows us, it is his goal is not climbing the ladder. The goal is coming down it. The goal is actually sacrifice and selflessness when we submit. And it's a position of strength. So we're actually climbing down the ladder to serve and lift those up. Fourth, come my notes. It's entered agreement with the spirit of the law. Instead of legalistic obedience, it's agreeing to understanding how it works. When God says, submit to one another, what God is saying is, that in my heart, I get at what he's doing. I understand the grace movement, and so I'm in spirit with what God is doing versus legalistic obedience. In the fourth, fifth, it's silent. It's quiet. Humility always is. It moves underground. It moves in the background. So look at those two differences. And I bet most of us as Christians who struggle with worldly submissions because we have too many of the definitions on the left side. 
So let's keep going. So I want to give you a definition of submission. I, I kind of put all the pieces together, and I think this is a good definition of biblical submission. It's yielding in grace to authority for the purpose of unity in relationship. It's yielding in grace. Submission is centered in God's grace, love coming at us, and then that is cascading to others to authority for the purpose of relationship and unity in that relationship. And so to look at this, there's a word in here we need to understand, so I got back up a little further and let's talk about well, what is authority in the Bible? What's biblical authority? Well, first I know this, that the authority only comes from God. Romans 13.1 reminds us all authority is from God. It's given to those whom he chooses, but authority is given to us. Biblical authority is given to us from God to use. And then from there, we know. We know that biblical authority first is a freedom. It's a freedom to decide or the right to act, and it's also the power and ability to complete an action. So it's given to us from God. It's the freedom to act, and it's the power and authority, the power and ability to move that action to happen. That's what authority is. But what's interesting is authority comes in spheres or areas of influence. Authority is different in so many places, and that's what Peter's going to tell us in just a little bit. In just a little bit. And, and so this second sermon note is kind of important. Authority is not permanent. Authority is not permanent. And this is where we get misconstrued a lot of times. When I have authority, it seems like I always have to have that. So I'll give you an example. Right now, what I'm doing is an authoritative act given to me by the Holy Spirit who I listened to for 10 to 15 hours this week as we wrote this sermon. I am standing in front of you with the authority given to share what, what's in the Bible and how God explains and defines submission. But I spent 10 to 15 hours in front of the Holy Spirit, in front of rabbis in study, in submission to understanding how to share this with you. And when I walk away from the stage, my authority is gone. But my authority is an act of grace of God moving through me to you. And when I go home tonight, my authority with my wife will only be at certain times. I'm going to explain this further. And my wife's authority with me will be at certain times. But my authority comes and goes all day long. And when I have authority, it's given by God. And I really, when I come up here to preach, Kara will tell you when we're praying right before, my hands are ice cold every time I come up here because the authority given and how big that authority is and how much I need him to stand in front of you shaking in my boots almost every Sunday. This is all facade of how nervous... <laughs> And then I'm going to go home and we're back in school and working on a degree and I'm going to be back at the feet of some other people in just a little bit, writing another paper and learning from a lot of people who I love because they're not going after this, they're going after this. And I hope that's what we get today too out of the Bible. Okay, so one more time. The definition of biblical submission is yielding in grace. Grace is a center here to the authority, uh, to authority for the purpose of unity and relationship. And so Peter's writing, he's writing a lot here in two and three about how we are better as a church and not bitter, and we are, we do this through grace and submission, grace and submission. So Peter's gonna take us on a journey of four areas where there is submission, four areas, there's a lot here. So hang with me as we go. We're gonna start here in First uh, Peter 2, starting in verse 13. I'm reading from the ESV, you'll see it up here overhead a little bit so you can follow along. Peter writes this to the church. He says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme 
or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And then he does this rapid-fire thing. Yes, love it. Go, Peter. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Bang, 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 bang. Twice in this verse, he says, honor the emperor. That's why I like the ESV, because it's calling it like it is. The emperor at this time is Nero. Talked a little bit about the last two weeks. Nero is the first emperor in the Roman Empire that starts systematically going after the Christians. And Peter writes, and, and he's writing, remember, to the church in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, which is a Roman province. And we believe this letter is 64 AD, the same year potentially, that, or the same year that we know historically that Rome burned. And Nero blamed it on the Christians. And so we believe the intensity of persecution really rocked. Tacitus, who is a Roman uh, historian, not Christian, he writes this about Nero during this era, about what Nero does to the Christians. Tacitus writes, therefore, first to those who were seized, talking about the early Christian church, who admitted their faith, and then using the information they provided, a vast multitude were convicted. And perishing, they were additionally made into sport. Nero made them into sport. He, they were killed by dogs by having the hides of beasts attached to them. So what Nero did for sport at Circus Maximus and places like that is he put animal hides on the Christians and let the dogs attack them and kill them in the arena. He continues, Tacitus continues, he says, or they were nailed to crosses. Now remember Rome, whenever they nailed you to a cross, they did it in the most public visible place, commonly along the major Roman roads. So everybody saw you were an example to not do this anymore. So this wasn't secluded. Jesus was nailed to a cross on a very visible, accessible entrance to Jerusalem. He says, or they were nailed to the crosses or set of flame, and when daylight passed away, they were used as nighttime lamps. What that means is he nails them to a cross, throws pitch or tar on them, and lights them on fire to light the road. That's what Nero was doing to Christians, and that's why Peter's writing this letter to this church. That's persecution. Peter, and submission government authorities. So let's shift us a little bit. Paint the picture of what's going on there. We're becoming that socially excluded church, largely because our church won't get back out and, and, and it, we're, we're allowing ourselves to be pushed because we're not sharing the good news. We're not out showing people the love of Christ. We're afraid. And so as we are socially excluded, he says, Peter says to us today, submit for the Lord's sake. Do good. Let your conduct be good and that will silence the foolish people. And then he cautions, don't be bitter towards the government authorities. Don't be bitter because if you imagine when Peter's writing this, you become bitter and react, persecution will just increase. He says, if we do good in the midst of this, watch how this changes, how the world sees us. But he says, if you're bitter, that grace avenue that God's using through you will just evaporate and people will not be drawn to who we are. What's interesting is in seven days, eight days is August 28th. August 28th is the 60th anniversary of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream address. 
And as we know, Martin Luther King is writing that address to the marginalized and oppressed black American community who he's saying, submit. But let's rise up for change. And Martin Luther writes this in the middle of that I Dream speech. He says, in the process of gaining our rightful place, it's been a hundred years since the Constitution was changed and we're still in the margins of life. And he says, in the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst of freedom from the cup of bitterness and hatred. He's saying the same thing Peter said 2,000 years ago. Don't drink from that cup of bitterness. And we still have work in that area as a nation. So that, <laughs> let's just start off with the government. That's first. We good there? Because we got three more areas to cover. All right, here we go. Second area, 1 Peter 2.18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. See the word grace? When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and you're beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure, and this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Twice he uses the word grace. He's saying servants, slaves, submit, to your master. Now what's interesting when he writes this, Peter is writing to the Greco-Roman world. The Greco-Roman world conquers and they take all the people they conquer and bring them back as slaves. These are Christian families that probably have slaves in them. So we're starting to see us move into maybe a, f a family unit here in this. But for us largely, this is a harder one for us because slavery is outlawed. Actually, if you find slavery today, it's illegal and it's in the dark. And it's why we have a ministry called the Homestead. Because to be a slave, to do sex trafficking, things like that, you have to do it in the dark. And that's why our church is committed to chasing that, going after that, healing, growing. But for us, maybe this is a little harder because none of us own slaves. But I think a really good correlation here is the workplace, working for a bad boss. How many have had a bad boss? How many have been a bad boss? Most of us, while we're young, we can probably say, I had a title on my desk and that was about it. And I wasn't the greatest boss. But I think when we look at the order here, the hierarchy, I think for us, uh, grace, this is that next note, grace is found in submission to leaders for us. People say bad leaders are really managers, right? <laughs> to the good leader, be submissive. Submit to the good leader, but also to the bad and the unjust. Why? Why would he say this? Why would we say this today? Well, let me ask this question. How many times have you worked in a caustic environment and being bitter worked? How many times? All it did was what? It made it more bitter. I don't know if I've ever seen, and guys, I came out of the corporate world. I'm a newer pastor. I came out of the corporate world. I don't think I've ever seen, I've seen a lot of caustic environments. I've never seen bitterness fix anything. As a matter of fact, it normally intensified. People just quit. But he says, submit. Grace moves through you. When you have that bad boss and you suffer for, for what's right, he says it can change your environment. I remember as a leader praying when I had difficult employees, praying that God would send me somebody with that type of heart because that person can change a room. And you put one good employee amongst a caustic environment and you do everything as a leader to not have that type of environment, they can change 
not only can they change a caustic environment, they can change the heart of a boss. And what Peter's saying is that come at it this way. You got a bad work environment? Come at it in grace and submission. Show the love of God through you. Break their hearts in a good way. But if you're bitter, it just gets worse. All right, let's move to the third area. This one's probably the most tense here. Um, and I hope we really see these verses through the lens of the biblical, of the Bible itself. So this third area, let's go to Peter 3, uh, 1 Peter 3, 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if you do not obey the, I'm sorry, that even if some, talking about husbands, do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So now we're talking about the area of spouse to spouse, the household unit. What you saw there was husband, wives submit to your husbands and husbands submit to your wives. You want to do a correlation, write down Ephesians 5 and go read that scripture because it starts out the same way. Submit to one another. That's the first thing it says and it breaks down. It says women do it this way. It's only about two verses, I joke. And then it goes, guys do it this way. It takes about 10 verses because guys just need more work. <laughs> it's a joke. But it's, it's great ones to do marital counseling in. But it starts with submit to one another. He's doing the same thing. Submit to one another. And what's interesting is, uh, and so that's our note. That's right. uh, what's interesting, he writes this, he says, wives submit to your husbands. And he says, even the godless husband, via grace, through grace and submission, you can change his heart and he can be one to Christ. Why is that so powerful? Because I was that guy. Not raised in the church. Fell in love with a Southern Baptist girl. Not even a good Catholic. And he won my heart through her. She changed me because she was submissive in moving the gospel of grace towards me. And I wish she was here today. She's okay. She didn't <laughs> just cover that. Husbands, submit to your wives. Show her honor. She is heir, an heir with you, equal in worth to grace. She is an heir with you to God's grace that he should be able to pour all the grace in the world to her and you both and it should be able to flow out of you both the same. So here's that next note. Grace is found in submission to our spouses. This is where it correlates to us. This is probably the most sensitive area that we venture into. Many believe, many Christians believe this phrase because they take these out of context and they don't see the bigger picture. They see, I have authority over my wife and she must submit. And many men think that. Husbands, I will tell you, let's go back to authority. There are times where you will have authority over your wife to do one thing, to build and protect her and the family. That authority that you have, that time and freedom to act is only given by God and it's designed to make her and your family more like Christ. That is your role. Every marriage is not about your happiness. Every marriage is about your holiness. The spouse and the husband are designed. Let's go back to Genesis 2 and 3. When he made them man and woman and they entered into marriage, 
marriage. He said, this is why a husband leaves his mother and father and is joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh. And at times, so I always like, for those of you who have had to endure my premarital counseling or some in this room, but I always say, Wait, this is what God's doing. Is like, guys, this tip of my finger is where you are awesome and strong and gifted, and these valleys are where you stink, and you're probably never going to be good at this. And God knows who you need, because here's that wife with all those gifts and abilities. A man, he just sows her into you, and you become one flesh. Why? Because your wife has authority. Your wife has ability and gifting that fits perfectly into you and changes you. Men, tell me one man in this room or online who hasn't been made better by their wife. My wife, my soul is here because of how he worked. I can't even imagine standing in front of you today without my wife. Because she had authorities in the area that stunk or was lost. And he sews it so beautifully together. And that design when you come together is to disciple one another. Your role in life is to make the other look like Christ. And our goal in our whole marriage life is a day when God calls one or unless you both go off the cliff at the same time, he's gonna call one home first. And that other spouse should have no regret about how they discipled and how they submitted and how they came together and how they took on the world together and how they added to the body of Christ. Our goal is holiness together, not happiness. Happiness comes, but holiness is first. The husband and wife are equal in worth. We are equal, and I will say in this area, we are equal in worth to God. We're equal in the way that he pours grace through us and moves through us. However, we are not equal in how we are built. And I don't need any graphic illustration here, right? Male and female are designed very different. We're different physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Gifting and everything. And he just souls them together so well. For those who are called to marriage. We're equal in worth, but we're designed very differently to complement each other, to make each other more like Christ. If you're looking for a husband, find that husband. If you're looking for a wife, find that wife who will change you more to be like Christ. I missed this in the first service, but there's one verse there that maybe some people hit. And it goes back and talks about Peter saying, for the wife is a weaker vessel. And some people really lock up on that. I don't know if I have solid answers for you, but this is what I do know. I don't know. We don't know what Peter's describing. Is he describing a physical difference? Is he describing a spiritual difference? We don't know because Peter doesn't tell us that. What we do know is Peter is Jewish and he's writing to a Greco-Roman world. Peter comes from a highly patriarchal, women had very low value, and Jesus showed that's wrong. And Peter comes from that environment, and his life was changed a lot. And he's writing to a Greco-woman world that's a little different, but still subjugates women, keeps them in very low value. And so when he's writing to them, he says, when he's writing, I believe, he's writing, now this is just an opinion, I'm gonna jump out one time here and say, it's just opinion, but he's saying, when, the, when he talks about the woman, the weaker vessel, I think he's addressing how they see them culturally. This is how the Greco-woman world sees them, as a weaker vessel, whatever that is. But everything he does contradicts that. Everything he tells them is their value and the importance of submission and authority in the household. He, he counters everything about that. So I don't know what it is. I really don't. I don't know if he's writing to, this is how you address them up there. But Peter is writing to a letter that's people that aren't him. 
I just want to address that because some people don't get past that word. I don't know if I have a clear answer. But I don't, he blows it up. And that's what we need to pay attention to. I think um, I was listening to Dr. Amy Bird, Dr. Amy Bird, ama amazing theologian on this topic, and, and she wrote a quote that I thought defines submission for us as Christians between husband and spouse. This was it. This is her definition of submission. Be the first to give, the first to love, and the first to sacrifice. That's submission. You can write that down. This is how I treat my wife. I'm the first to give to her, the first to love her, and the first to sacrifice to her. That's submission. We get that right, we're gonna be okay. All right, we've been through three areas. Peter's got one more. Let's go back to First Peter 3 now, verse 8. Finally, Peter takes a breath. <sighs> Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Bless! For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So now Peter wraps it all up. We've just gone through three areas of submission. He has a fourth one. He's talking to the church. Church, submit to one another. There's no exclusion here, male, female, whatever. Church, submit to one another. I have, and in that you'll have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and humble mind. You do this and you'll be better. Remember what's going on in the church here. They're walking down the street and watching their burning neighbor. Submit to one another. Because if you can see what it does to a husband and wife, imagine what it does to the body of Christ. Us operating as one. So the last note there, grace is found in submission to the government, authorities, to the leaders, to the spouses, last one, to each other. And he's talking about the church. And systematically, he does this every time. Every time he says, be better, he reminds us what bitter is. And he does it here. He says, don't do this. Don't, uh, he goes, do all this. Sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind. But don't do this. Don't repay evil for evil. Christians don't do that. And don't revile. Revile, if you're not familiar with that word, it means to criticize in an ugly or insulting manner. And Christians, we need to work on that one because we can be critical and very snarky and nasty when there's things that we don't like that are going on in the world or around us or in our house or whatever. He says, don't do that. He says, be better. And when you are, you'll bless one another in the body and then we'll be a blessing to everybody else. Hmm. I need a drink. Well... <laughs> Better define that. I know with some of us, take it from a guy who went on a journey from not being raised in a Catholic home to a little bit of the Catholic church to fall in love with a Baptist girl, <laughs> this whole journey about submission stuff coming here. Some of us may still be struggling in how I'm trying to share with you what the Bible says or what we're sharing with you about what submission is because I think there's a tug of war in how you were raised and the values of your home or you've got some of these secular worldly values of really what submission is and you're just struggling to get beyond that. 
And I would ask to go back uh, and, and compare notes and look at the overall narrative of the Bible versus what we call clobber verses, where people use one or two verses to change the whole thing, versus submission. And I would say, go pay attention to the Trinity who submit to one another, Father, Son, and Spirit, equal in worth, but very different, and they just harmonize all the time, and that is our model. But one thing you may be hearing that I want to address, and I need to make sure I say what's not being said, is that a lot of times we hear submission, all we hear is we're being a doormat. Man, hate hearing that, because submission and humility is one of the strongest positions any of us ever have, and it's the best position that grace ever comes through us. But we live in a culture that doesn't value that. But I want to tell you what I'm not saying because I, I just just to slow down, please send me emails on Monday. I'm okay if you're wrestling with this, but just to slow down emails, this is not what I'm saying. Submission is not. Submission is not oppressive, abusive, or devaluing the other. Never. That's probably a better phrase. It's never that. It's never oppressing my wife. It's never being abusive to my husband. It's never devaluing in any way the ability and authority and the Holy Spirit's power in somebody. Submission is not agreeing with everything. And I know our world is struggling. I know our nation's having issues politically. I, nobody's more evident about that than I. But I'm not asking you to be agreeing with everything. I'm just saying don't be nasty and mean. When we submit, we respond to our government. If we don't like a law, then we stand up and share those values and we build relationship and we hope our goodness influences. But I know that when we're bitter and nasty, it's never attractive. And all it does is pick up the challenge or the persecution. I'm not saying agree with everything. Stick with what God says. And when we're asked to do something that we're not supposed to do, then we have the right to disobey. But do it in grace. It's not living in fear. People think submissive people just live in fear. The only way I live in fear is I listen to the voice of the enemy because the voice of God is never fear. And when he says submit and watch my power work through you, I'm going to do that. Fourth, submission is not stopping our influence of others. Christians, we have the good news in us. We want to influence everybody to have life now and life eternal in Christ. Definitely submission means to go out and influence others. It doesn't stop us from that. And last, it's just worth reiterating, submission is not a difference in worth. Not only is there no difference in worth between male and female in God's eyes or any gender, generation, or whatever, that worth is huge to God. So it should be huge to us. Your fourth sermon note just kind of pulls it all together with a better word, I think. Betterness, we like that word. Betterness, not bitterness, requires mutuality. Mutual submission. Uh, sometimes people in churches talk about complementarian churches, which really isn't compliment, because it doesn't compliment. It's very hierarchical about men and women's roles. And, and some would say we're more egalitarian, which is equal. Well, we are equal in worth, but we're not equal in gifting. We're not equal in, uh, we all fit together. Like, we need those differences. But mutuality is the word I love to use. We are called to mutual submission to benefit the other. We've explained that, but just that's a better word. The Bible is very clear to those who are creating God's image. Mutually submit in humility to one another and that's how grace will flow into us and it makes room for it and how grace will flow out of us to a world. Even when the world seems dark, crazy, our job stinks and our marriage is on the rocks. If we choose bitterness, it'll always go the wrong direction. 
And so this is amazing. Like, this is a great lesson. This is a great way to jump through Scripture and say what Peter's saying. But it's like, man, can you show me something? Show me where this works. Show me who. Who does this? Who does this that it works? Well, Peter says, I knew you were going to say that. So he writes it. First Peter 2, 21. For to this, talking about submission, you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you a what? An example. So that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly, to the Father. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. I just think that's so powerful when we're watching our friends being nailed to a tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. You want an example? Peter says, let me give you Christ who shows us biblical submission. He submitted to the Father, never moved without him first. He submitted to everybody around him he has submitted to the authorities. And I would even venture to say, you might check me on this, he submitted to evil who nailed him to the cross, knowing his mission would defeat them. He gave up everything he had for us. Your last sermon note, this is what's our take home today. Grace and submission models Christ. There's our model. You remember, like I said, I don't know, I, I can't throw a lot of scripture at you, but let me throw a life at you and show you everything you read about his life shows this. But you remember that chart? We didn't start, here's worldly and here's biblical submission. Let me tell you about Jesus. He went to the cross voluntarily, not by compulsion. He did it not out of self-interest, but in faith, hope, and love. He did it selflessly in humility and sacrificially climbed down the ladder of heaven to us for the better of everybody else. He did it quietly. He did not revile and return. He did not scream out at those who were nailing him to the cross. What did he do? He prayed for him. He did it for those who love him and he did it for those who hated him. He taught us to be better, not bitter. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Holy Spirit, we asked your help when we started and we need your help now. Help us see the beauty of submission. Help us see that it is not a doormat of life, but it is an incredible position of strength and power and that is all that how, what you do through us. And it is the channel, it is the channel, whether it's the government or whether it's bad bosses or whether it's, it's, it's our relationship with our spouse or whether it's the church. It is the channel, grace, one of the key channels that grace flows to us and through us. Your love to the world, whether they deserve it or not, or whether we deserve it or not, flows into us and out of us. If we choose to be bitter, that grace doesn't flow. If we choose to be better, we can change the world. Even when it stinks, even when it's hard, even when it's a struggle. We know bitterness never works. 
better does. People are drawn to that. And in us, each one of us carry the hope of Christ to a world that's hurting. So Father, I ask our offering now to you. Now is a time of worship where we give you our best in return. Help us to check whatever bitterness we have at the door. Help us check how we're treating our spouse at the door. Help us if I'm making fun of the president or my governor, that I stop. I stop. Honor the emperor. Honor the governor. Stand for what's right, but do it in grace and love. Holy Spirit, help us check our bitterness at the door. Let's go out and be the church you've called us to be, even when it's hard, because there we'll find a joy and hope of the world. And we'll watch people change because you just work through us. As we leave today and we drop off our financial offerings in the boxes and stuff, use those because we have missionaries around the world that are changing the world with us. We have ministries here that are going into the darkness of slavery and changing lives. We have people that go out in 115 degree weather to show the love to international students. That's the church we want to be. So let our offering to you be amazing today. We pray us in Christ's holy name.